119 verses 97 through 105. That's on page 514 in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. Psalm 119, 97 through 105. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Many years ago, people used to hold gospel meetings for weeks on end. As a matter of fact, oftentimes a preacher would come to town and he would start preaching nightly. And there was not much else to do a lot of, a lot of times in a lot of places at night. And it was always good for the entire community to come together and to hear the gospel preached. In one certain town, there was an outspoken atheist. He did not believe in the things of God. And this atheist said... I'm going to go hear the preacher when he comes to town because I'm educated and he's not. And I'm going to poke holes in his arguments and I'm going to cause some trouble for him. And that outspoken atheist went and listened to the preacher proclaim God's word that night. And he came home astonished. And he went again the next night and he heard him preach again. And he came home astonished. And after several nights of listening to this preacher proclaim God's word from the scriptures, from the Bible, this atheist responded to the invitation, obeyed the gospel, became a Christian. Some of the people in town were, were kind of amazed by this. You would think everybody would be. And they said, what is it that caused you to, to change so drastically? Because you're educated and this preacher is obviously not. But what is it that he said that, that was so compelling? The atheist said this, when that man preaches, he hides behind the Bible. Everything he says comes from the Bible. And I, I turned my, my, my own Bible and opened to the passages he was proclaiming and I just could not find anything that was faulty in what he said because he continually hid behind Scripture. Brothers and sisters and friends, there is power in the Word of God. We believe by faith that there is power in the Word of God, but we also believe by experience that there's power in the Word of God. The fact that we have responded to the message of Jesus Christ, the fact that we have responded to the wonderful words of life that we've been singing about this morning, it testifies to the fact that there is power in the Word of God. It is not just one self-help book among others. The Bible is in a world and a category by itself when it comes to its ability to change and transform lives for good. Because of the Bible, people have left their long-held beliefs, their treasured possessions, their own countries. People have left those things behind to follow and to serve and to be faithful to the God of heaven all the days of their lives. And many people in this world have willingly and enthusiastically been willing to give their own lives because of the ideas, because of the principles found in this book.
There is no book like the Bible. There is no book that is as powerful as this one. We believe as the people of God in the power of Scripture. Over the next several Sundays, we're going to be studying together the idea of the wonderful words of life. It's a series that's going to deal with things like this morning, the power of Scripture, but not only that, the authority of God's Word and the sufficiency of God's Word and even the silence of God's Word. What should we do when there isn't a thou shalt not? What should we do when we come to a place in in our life, in our experience where the Bible didn't say not to, how do we handle that? Our eternity depends on the answer. The wonderful words of life. Give your attention with me for a few moments this morning to the power of Scripture. It changes lives, it transforms people. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's powerful. It's life-changing. What I'd like for us to do with our study this morning is observe that the Bible gives metaphors. It gives illustrations for its role in our own lives. I'd like to share with you this morning, this is not an exhaustive list, but six metaphors that help us to understand how powerful the scriptures are. There is no book like the Bible. And if you'll listen to what it says, and if you'll obey what it tells you to do, you too will be changed, you'll be transformed. In the first place this morning, the Bible describes itself as a lamp or a light. Eric read just a moment ago from Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word, O God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Have you ever had to get up in the middle of the night and it's a very, very dark night? And even though you know where furniture is, inevitably, Murphy's Law says, you're going to stub your toe on something. Your word is a lamp. It's a light to my path. Psalm 119 verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And even in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5, Christians are told we are children of light. We are children of the day, not the night or the darkness. And the reason why we're children of light is because we've opened up the scriptures and let them illuminate our lives. When you think about the Bible being a lamp or a light, the light of scripture reveals some things to us that we would not otherwise know or see. Scripture tells us what God is thinking. It tells us what he wants. It tells us who he is. God speaks to us through scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 13, and he explains his will for our lives. The scriptures indicate to us the way of salvation. Acts chapter 16, verse 30, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Can I tell you something? If you don't get the answer to that question from this book, you better, uh, you better abandon your answer. What must I do to be saved? The scriptures tell you what you must do to be saved. It illuminates the way of salvation. The glory of Jesus Christ is shown to us in scripture. John 1.14, John who saw Jesus with his eyes writes about Jesus and he says, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, but you can behold his glory too when you open and read from the book of John and read the things that it says about who Jesus is. It illuminates, it tells us and shows us who Jesus is. The Bible gives us light, wisdom in every difficulty of life. 
You have trouble in your life, you have problems that you face, the scriptures have a response for you. How should we respond? What should we do? What should we not do? The Bible gives light in every situation. Again, the Bible gives us comfort in the midst of every trouble. There are promises and there is hope to be found in the Word of God because God loves His people. He loves you and He wants in the midst of your troubles to provide assurance and strength and hope and comfort. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4, He is the God of all comfort. The Bible even provides for us hope for a wonderful future. You know, all those talking heads on TV have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. They have no idea what's going to happen the next few hours. They have no idea what's going to happen a year from now. They like to pretend they do, but they don't. The Bible gives hope for the future. It tells us about our future. Not everything that we'd like to know, but some things for certain. 1 Peter 1 verses, 1, uh, 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 speaks about how there is an inheritance treasured up for the saints. It's undefiled. It's imperishable. It is something that's reserved in heaven for you, the scriptures say. The Bible gives light to our lives. It illuminates so many things that otherwise we would have no idea about. It's powerful, the scripture is. But not only that, secondly this morning, the Bible is described or describes itself as a fire. When you think about powerful forces in the world, fire has to come as one of the most powerful things in all of the world. Think about what fire can do. You get a fire hot enough, you can melt rock. Hot enough fire. And the Bible describes itself as a fire. In fact, Jeremiah very frequently uses this, this uh, illustration. In Jeremiah 23, verse 29, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? In a different place, Jeremiah said this, he got so depressed about preaching the Bible and about telling people God's will and, and nobody's responding and everybody's attacking Jeremiah because he's the messenger. Attack the messenger, that's an old refrain that's happened over and over throughout history. And Jeremiah gets so discouraged, he says, you know what, I'm going to quit. He says, if I, I don't mention him, I'm not going to speak anymore in his name, I'm just going to quit. And then he said, but there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot, some translations say, I cannot contain it. What Jeremiah meant was, I love the people that I'm preaching to. And if I ever stopped loving them, and if I ever stopped caring about their fate, well, okay, I could be quiet, but I can't. I just, and my conscience won't let me sit by and not tell them about the message of God and what his will for their lives is. The word is like a fire in my bones, he says. That's how I feel about it. I've got to tell people. When Jesus appeared after his resurrection in Luke 24, verse 32, he walked with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus talked about the scriptures to them. He opened up the scriptures and said, you guys have missed the point about the Messiah. And let me tell you some of the things that it says in the Old Testament about who the Messiah is and what he's going to do. And then after he had left their presence, they said this in Luke 24, 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and watch this while he opened to us the scriptures. Brothers and sisters and friends, you need more of the scriptures in your life. 
You need more of God's word in your life because it's like a fire. It is something that is changing us. It changes who we are and how we think and and how we act in, in the presence of other people, what we say. It changes those things. In fact, when you think about the fire of God's word, the fire of scripture can, number one, thaw even the coldest heart. Some people are really cold hearted. They're really, the Bible would say hard hearted. But there is always hope if we will just open our hearts. Did you listen to the song we sang a little while ago? I appreciate Brother Taylor selecting songs about the wonderful words of life this morning. When we talked about the ancient words in that song we sang, we have come with open hearts. Let these ancient words impart. If you'll listen to these ancient words, if you'll let them sink down into your ears, and if you'll agree with them, even the coldest heart can be thawed. The fire of God's word, brothers and sisters, can bring renewal to lukewarm congregations. There are a lot of congregations of God's people all over the world that have become lukewarm. And the reason why they're lukewarm is because implicitly and sometimes explicitly, they have decided that God's word is not really the thing that people need to hear the most. And so there's less and less and less of God's word that gets into sermons and Bible classes and there's more and more and more of other things. And then people look around and wonder, why are people struggling in their discipleship? Why are people struggling in their commitment? The Bible will bring renewal to churches. What churches need to hear, including this one, is more of scripture, more of the Bible. It brings renewal to lukewarm congregations and it will motivate the most discouraged disciples as well. When you are discouraged and weary and you don't know what to do next, you need more scripture in your life. When people are discouraged and depressed, one of the best questions you could ever ask them is this. Listen up, those of you who counsel, those of you who give advice, what have you been reading? I'm as serious as I can be. What have you been reading lately? If you're discouraged, if you're depressed, what have you been reading? And oftentimes the answer is, well, not much of anything. Read the word of God. There is comfort, there is strength, there is grace. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls itself a means of grace. Acts 20 verse 32, it is the word of his grace. And you're not getting as much of God's grace in your life as you could if you're not reading this book. You're just not. There is grace and blessing that God intends for you and you are robbing yourself of that by ignoring it. The word of his grace. It's a fire. It'll light a fire in your life. Third, the Bible describes itself as a mirror. Famously in James chapter one, verses 23 and 24, the scripture says this. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man, think about the illustration here. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Not just glancing, but he can see all the details of his face. And then it says he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. It's telling you something about the power of scripture. What does this book do? I may read this book, but brothers and sisters and friends, make no mistake about it, this book wants to read me. 
This book wants to reflect back to me and say, John, there are some things in your life that need to be rearranged. There are some things that need to change, just like when you look in the mirror in the morning when you first wake up. There are some things that need to be dealt with, adjusted, comb your hair, shave your face, those kinds of things. Why? Because this is part of looking presentable. And the Bible says it wants to read us. God's word is given to us as a mirror. Think about some properties of mirrors. When you look at a mirror, what do we like to say? The mirror doesn't lie. Oh no, not my mirror lies. Nope, not this one. Mirrors are accurate. Second Corinthians 13, five, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, examine yourselves in light of what this book says. Mirrors are accurate. Not only are mirrors accurate, but they are informative. They tell us things that we did not otherwise realize about ourselves. This book wants to read you. And not only are they informative, mirrors remind us. Because if you haven't made changes, if nothing has been dealt with in your life, even though the Bible tells you to, the Bible's gonna tell you again, and it's gonna tell you again, it's always a mirror reflecting back to us who we are and how, this is most important of all, God sees us. Because God's looking at you, and God's looking at me, and he's saying, here's my holy word, it's a mirror. Let it reflect back to you who you are. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, search me, O God, try my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. God, I want you to know me and search me and understand me, and I wanna know those things about myself. The Bible will do that for you. It's a mirror. Next, what is the scripture? It is a powerful book. It's a different book. You can go down to Barnes and Noble or Books a Million over here at the mall and you can look at all kinds of different books that'll, somebody will read a book sometimes and they'll say, that book changed my life. You know, I've read just a handful of books and I've read quite a bit, not as much as some of you, but I've read quite a bit in my experience. And I've read a handful of books that I would say, okay, that book really had an impact on me. And I've got, a, I've got a certain number of books, a list in my head of books that have been really profound for different reasons. And sometimes with books, sometimes it's about when you read the book, about where you are in life when you read this particular book. And it'll, it'll have an impact and give you instruction and help. The Bible is unique because wherever you are in life, whoever you are in life, whenever you are in life, it's got something to say to you because it's God speaking to you, the creator speaking to his creation. That's why it's so practical, so informative, and so helpful for showing us who we're supposed to be. What is the Bible? It describes itself, listen up, as food. I'm looking around, I've lived in the United States most of my life, I have not yet met many Americans who can legitimately say, I missed a meal. Unwillingly, I missed a meal. I've not yet met many Americans. When I lived in Tanzania, in East Africa, I met a lot of people over there that would say, yeah, I've gone a day without food because I didn't have enough money to buy food that day. A lot of people I've met. But the Bible describes itself as food. And I suspect there are a lot of people, even in this room, that would say, you know, I haven't always consumed God's word 
as feverishly, as fervently, as readily as I do my daily food. Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of God's lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Matthew 4, 4, now we're getting even more serious because this is Jesus speaking. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're living by bread alone and you're not having a diet of God's word, Jesus says you're not really living. Not the abundant life, not the life that God intends for you. John 10 verse 10. The scripture is described as food. In 1 Peter 2 verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, the scripture, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And again, Hebrews 5 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The Bible describes itself as food for our souls. And while our physical bodies may be doing great because you eat right and you get good nutrition and you look fabulous and good for you, that's wonderful if that's how you are. But how does your soul look? If we could see our souls, if we could just bring them all out here on stage, would it tell a different story about where our priorities are? The Bible is described as food. You know, when I think about spiritually, the Bible being described as food, it occurs to me, we ought to ask ourselves every once in a while, what am I consuming spiritually? Because there are people who consume absolutely no food spiritually. If the Bible describes itself as food, there are a lot of people, even some Christians, that very little to absolutely no food is given to them. They're taking absolutely none of it in. Hosea 4 verse 6, my people are destroyed, God says, for lack of knowledge. They're not consuming my word. And because of that, they don't know me. They don't know who I am. By the way, that's what scripture does for us. Scripture brings us into a knowledge of God. It, it, it's God talking to us. You know, when you were young and you went out on dates and you were, you were courting that significant other, you have to talk to your date, don't you? If you just sit there like a bump on a log and don't say anything and you don't offer anything out of your own heart to that other person, it's going to be one date and that's it. Why? Well, because I didn't learn anything about this other person. They didn't seem interested in telling me who they are. But what God is doing with us when he gives us the scripture, he's telling us who he is and he's telling us what he thinks about us and what he thinks about himself and what he thinks about the world that he's put us in. He's telling us all these things from his own heart and he's reaching out with open arms and saying, I care about you, I love you. And there are a lot of people that don't listen to a word he's saying. No food being consumed in your life. There are other people in some congregations that eat what I would describe as an unbalanced diet of God's word. An unbalanced diet. What happens if you decide that you're just going to eat carrots and nothing else? What's gonna to happen to you? If all you ever eat is carrots, are carrots nutritious? Yeah. Are carrots good for you? Yeah. 
What if you decide to live exclusively on a diet of carrots? You're going to have problems eventually. Why? Because you're eating an unbalanced diet. And listen to me. There are some preachers and there are some Christians and there are some elders and elderships that are all focused on one or two really big important issues. And in doing that, they neglect the totality of God's word and they end up feeding themselves and they end up feeding the congregation a unbalanced diet. We ought to be discerning in what we hear and we ought to ask ourselves in our diet, am I getting the whole picture from God's word? Some people eat a diet that is lacking in substance. You can take a verse or two and you can preach a really fluffy sermon. You can teach a really fluffy Bible class and everybody can feel really good about themselves. And you can do that week after week after week after week. My daughter and I were walking through Sam's a couple of days ago. You know, Sam's Costco Wholesale Club. They had, I would not seen this before. They had a giant display of cotton candy and they had these huge tubs of cotton candy. You could just buy a bunch of cotton candy. And, and if you really like that stuff, it's not really my cup of tea. But if you like that stuff, you could take a whole lot of cotton candy home. What happens to you if all you eat is cotton candy? That's even worse than eating all carrots, isn't it? You're not going to like the results. Is cotton candy nutritious? Absolutely not. <laughs> is it good? Eh, some people would think so. Or what if, you know, okay, let's be a little more nutritious, Cheetos. What if you decide to try to live on Cheetos? Will it keep you alive for a few days? Probably. But do you want to eat this constantly? Brothers and sisters and friends, we need substance in our spiritual diet. We need to hear all of God's word. And when you think about what we're consuming spiritually, there are some congregations and there are some individuals that all they eat is either a really unbalanced diet, if they eat anything at all, or they're eating a diet that is just very, very fluffy. There's no substance to it. God wants us to eat a balanced, healthy diet. Paul says in Acts 20, verses 27 to 28, I did not shun to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. I wanted to tell you everything about the gospel and its implications for your lives. And so Paul dealt with difficult subjects. He dealt with issues and challenges and problems, but he also dealt a lot with the cross and what Jesus has done for us and how that ought to change everything about how we live and who we talk to and when we talk and why we talk. Jesus and the cross ought to transform everything. That's a balanced and healthy diet. We need to know more and more about the, the deep things of God. And incidentally, you don't have to be super technical in order to be deep. Jesus was deep in the Sermon on the Mount. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He was deep in the Sermon on the Mount. He was profound and yet who has trouble understanding whatever you'd have men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, 12. Who has trouble understanding that? But you want to talk about deep and profound? You don't have to be super technical to be deep, but we need that kind of teaching. What are you consuming? God's word describes itself as a sword, as a sword. Ephesians 6, 17 
take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What sword are we supposed to take into battle with us? The Word of God. Acts 2.37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What had Peter been doing prior to Acts 2.37? He had been preaching a message from God's word. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart. The sword will do some cutting. My grandparents always brought their Bibles to services and my grandmother especially always used to say, I got my sword with me, brought my sword. I always appreciated that, I still do, because this book is a sword. And you know, sometimes in our evangelistic approach, I think it's important for people to believe that there is a God. I think it's important for people to believe that the Bible is God's word. However, I have come to the conclusion in my evangelistic studies personally, I've come to the conclusion that if this really is a sword, one of the first things we ought to do is just bring out the sword and start cutting. If we're gonna talk to people about the gospel, we ought to just bring out the sword and just start telling people, this is what God's will is. Here's what he says. We need more of that in our evangelistic endeavors. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit works through the word of God. He convicts and he converts and he sanctifies us through the teaching and the preaching and the response that we have to the word of God. John chapter three, verse five, we are born of water and the spirit when we're baptized. First Peter one, verse 23, we are begotten by the, the word of God. It is what brings us forth. God's word works in people who believe and obey it. You know, the thing about the Word of God being powerful, it all boils down to this. The power's in the Word. It's up to you to agree with what it says. It's up to you to decide in your life that this is important enough for you to agree with and then to do something about it. But the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, when those people in Thessalonica, they received the message from Paul, they received it not as the word of men, but as it is in reality, the word of God, which still effectively works in you who believe. This message will work in your life and it'll work continually in your life as you believe and obey what it says. We're living in 2023, the world is changing rapidly. And a lot of people in the religious world, including many of our brethren, are saying, you know, we're going to have to be more relevant. We're going to have to seek to do a lot more to, to reach out to the culture in which we live. And without even intending to sometimes, and sometimes with the intention of doing so, a lot of our brethren want to abandon or at least minimize or diminish the role of God's word in preaching and teaching. Years ago, I heard this statement and it has always stuck with me as a gospel preacher. You wanna be relevant? You wanna have something to say to your generation? You wanna be relevant? Say things that are eternal. When you say things that are eternal, you're relevant. The world may say, well, I don't believe that. But that doesn't mean that we lose our conviction. There's power in the Word of God. It divides even to the division of soul and spirit, Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And people may act like this hasn't had an impact on them, but I guarantee you this, 
it is impossible for someone to be confronted with the truth and for them to not have to make some kind of conscious decision about it. It's impossible. When people hear the truth, when they hear relevant eternal principles, when they hear from this book, they have to do something. They may choose to reject it and walk away, or they may choose to accept it and embrace it, but you cannot halt between two opinions for very long when you're listening to this message. The Bible has not lost its sharpness and people still have not changed. Brothers and sisters and friends, here's why I wanted to preach this sermon. I want us to hear that God's word, God's word is what people need more than anything else. It's what the church needs more than anything else. Finally, what is God's word? It's a seed. Luke chapter 8, verse 11, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Matthew 13, verse 8, as Jesus tells the parable of the sower, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. The Bible is described as a seed, a little tiny seed. You take it and you plant it in the ground, and what does it produce? It always produces the same thing. The Bible produces a Christian. Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. People need the seed of God's word being planted over and over and over in their lives. Why is God's word called seed? It's called seed because seed contains life. You take that little seed and even though you've kept it packaged away for months and weeks, you can take that and plant it in the ground and it will bring life. James 1, 18. Even though it's small, a seed is powerful. So is the message of God, Romans 1.16. Seed produces fruit and so does God's word. Seed must be planted in order to do much good. It's not gonna do much good if it's sitting dusty on your shelf, if it's sitting in the backseat of your car until the next time you come to worship. The seed of God's word needs to be planted in order to do much good in our lives and the lives of others. And seed depends on good ground for production. Seed is looking for a place where it can grow and it can be nourished. God's word is a seed. We try unapologetically to plant the seed of God's word in your heart and your life. When you attend services here, we wanna say and do everything that we say and do because the Bible tells us this is God's will for you. It's God's will for us. And the reason why there's so much Bible in our teaching and in our preaching is because we believe The Bible is powerful, the power of Scripture to change our lives. There was a man that was getting ready to go on vacation, and as he was packing, his friend was nearby, and this man's suitcase was nearly full, and he said, I got one, just a little bit more space in my suitcase. Here's what I want to do. I want to bring a light, and I want to bring a telescope, and I want to bring a mirror, and I want to bring a sword. I want to bring some seed. I want to bring all those things. And his friend looked at his suitcase and said, well, there's not room in your suitcase for all those things. And the man took his copy of God's word and he put it in his suitcase and he said, God's word is all those things. It changes lives and it'll change yours if you'll let it. Hear the word, agree with God's word, do what God says and you'll find salvation. God's word this morning tells you if you're not a Christian to come to Jesus Christ, believe in him, Repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sins. The way that somebody comes into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is through the waters of baptism. That's what the word says. 
And if we can help you to do that, or if you'd like to study more and know more about that, we'd be happy and thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you. Maybe you need to respond because you need the prayers of God's people. You need strength and you need hope and comfort and encouragement. We'd be, be privileged to pray for you and to pray with you because we know that we serve a God who has shared his mind with us, who loves you and cares for you. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation this morning, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.